This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One, two, three. Craig and Bethany rewatch Stell Game. They've loved the show ever since they were waves. But can it stand the test of time? We'll chat shite, then you decide. Cause it's time to rewatch Stell Game with Bethany and Craig. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Still Game podcast. This is a podcast where we rewatch Still Game and we chat shite about it. But and we also interview the people who worked on it and the creators of the show, and we have a jolly good time. I am Bethany, and I am Craig. <laughs> And we are your hosts. Today's episode that we are going to be talking about is episode two on Netflix or four, if you're watching it on BBC iPlayer, and it's called Family. It aired on the 27th of September, 2002, a whole 21 years ago. Isn't that mad? Uh, Yeah, especially since it's 19 years ago. Wait, what? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not Uh, editing that out. That's definitely getting counted. Oh, my God. Fuck's sake, two minutes in, she's ruined it already. Oh my God, I knew maths would be my downfall. Oh my God. Wait, it's 2021 and it aired in 2000 and... Okay, yeah. That's 19! What's right. wrong with you? <laughs> anyway, so Craig, <laughs> run, us, run us through what you, th- what, your, what you think of the episode, your overview. This is... Uh, this is- Probably my least favourite episode of series one. And uh, I'll tell you for why. I think it's... Now, it's, it's to a credit to the show, and it's one of the good things about the show, and, and one of the things why from... Certainly from, I think, a, a kind of critical point of view, why, why the show is so good, and that you have... You have these sombre moments, you could have these storylines, that it's the kind of commentary on the fact that it's very hard... Uh, to be a pensioner, and there could be a lot of loneliness, isolation, heartbreak, uh, being let down by our kind of nearest and dearest, and that's what this episode is basically about. It's ja- the whole the entire episode, really, is because mm. uh, the B story itself also kind of ties in to that, like because it ends up Winston being the one that ends up uh, lonely and isolated because. Jack and, and Victor are, are too preoccupied with their own kind of issues to, to go see him in the hospital. And so, but the main crux of the story is that Victor is expecting his son 
to come up from London, but he's been let down before and they can't quite figure out what time he's going to arrive and they're you know doubtful whether he's going to arrive in the first place. And in the end, it doesn't do what a lot of sitcoms would and have mm. a happy ending. It's, it's a sad ending. It's a kind of yeah. melancholic show. So I think the reason why it's probably my least favourite of the first series is the fact that it's just... It's just a bit of a tougher rewatch than I think a lot of still game shows that are yeah. a bit more lighthearted and a bit more breezy and just a bit more fun to watch when you know what's going to happen. Yeah. I yeah, I I I would agree. I think I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it's um a credit to the show and I think it is very I don't want to say brave, that sounds really patronizing, but like it is a very brave thing to do to air a sitcom without a happy ending it's quite rare that you do that on episode two yeah <laughs> um you know uh, but i i got very personally uh it like emotionally invested in this episode um i think especially because i don't remember how it turned out so i do feel like i'm watching a lot of them fresh uh this around because i haven't watched it since i was you know in my early teens um uh so yeah, I got I got very very emotional about it. Um, I also think that actually I wasn't really invested in the secondary plot line. Kind of the same as I felt in the pilot. Like I thought the Winston thing, you know, it was it was good and it was fine. But I just I I cared more about Peggy than I did about him. You know, the fact that he ended up in hospital wasn't something that really interested me or intrigued me. Um, yeah. And I got more excited about the fact that I spotted Billy Boyd than I did um, about the the weird ass dream sequence that they did. Um, so yeah, ah, the I dream agree. sequence was uh, strange. Aye, I was like, all right, sick, cool. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I think I definitely agree with your your analysis. Um, but all in all, do you know what I mean? I don't think there's a bad episode in series one at all, but I do think this is the weakest link. I don't think there's a bad episode really in the entire six, the initial six series, uh, to be mm. honest. So yeah, it's it's to say it's my you know, least favourite episode of series one is like saying it's my least favourite child. You know, I've <laughs> still got a lot of love there. Yeah, <laughs> still still got some love there, do you know? <laughs> just, not as, just maybe not as much love as, as the rest of them. Uh, there's yeah. also a bit as well, I do kind of find Billy Boyd's cameos good when they are played with a bat and ball. And that, that mm. sequence is very funny. Like Jack's, Jack's like kind of ability to do it. Uh, it's very charming, very funny. Victor's yeah. inability. Victor do it like I would probably do it. Um, <laughs> that that stuff's good. But I do find his cameo where he says that kind of weird line uh, and it drops some. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was like, why are you being philosophical? I, Stop it. To me, it kind of it didn't quite fit. And... I find that that whole kind of sequence. There's parts of it I like. I like the, I like at the pub where where Jack's getting quite excited about the thought about doing a stakeout in, in Central mm-hmm. Station. I mean, hanging about Central Station for six hours, which is what they end up doing, sounds like my idea of hell. <laughs> like I hate waiting ten minutes on a bus. So sitting in a train station for six hours would would literally be my idea of hell. Uh, that I would that would drive me insane. I hate waiting in airports. And that's when you're going somewhere exciting, not just waiting for somebody to get off a, a sodden train for London. So, but so the the Jack being quite like excited by it is quite endearing. Also, maybe a little bit sad as well that the prospect yeah. of sitting in a, a train station for six hours is is exciting. But it, it suppose you could understand when it breaks up the monotony of just going to the pub and bookies all the time. It's something different. 
there's, there's an element of edge to it because you don't know what train they're going to be on or where they're going to come at all kind of thing. So I can, you, you can kind of see that, that part of it I quite liked. But just when they're in the, the station itself, I didn't find... I don't find the kind of shouting across each other for like one side to the other. I didn't find that particularly funny. And it's just kind of hard to make it entertaining to watch guys yeah. sit, sit in a train station for hours. Because yeah. it does take up at least, what, five minutes of the episode? Aye. And it, it feels a wee bit plodding to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I did. I also, I found uh, Boyd's first line, uh, first interruption, very jarring. It really didn't fit the tone of the scene uh at all, it was more like, "Hello, here is <laughs> soon to be famous yeah. Bella Boyd." Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, actually, I kind of enjoyed the whole shouting across Central Station thing. But I think more because I was thinking, like, so were they all extras? Did they actually do that? Did they know what was happening? All those people, <laughs> like, how did they do that? Um, so maybe I enjoyed it for the wrong reasons. And um, you're also right as well with the the B plot. The B plot kind of doesn't really go anywhere that much. It's kind of it, it shifts one thing into another, yeah. just to kind of tie into the main show, and it's uh, it's it's a little bit messy. Yeah, it it did feel a little bit messy. Um, so I actually kind of maybe see why you know when the BBC released them, why they shifted the order because yeah, like despite the the literal uh, welcome mat at the beginning of the show, there's the. Uh, I understand why they would shift it a couple of episodes in because then you get the lighter comedy, you get the expectation of what the show's going to be like and then a couple of episodes later you can subvert that subvert that expectation with the sad ending. Um, so maybe I understand why they kind of messed up the episode order a wee bit. Yeah, yeah, possibly, if it was. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure whether it was intentional or not. It might not have been uh, shown in I the really wrong I really hope it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I really hope it wasn't. That was just like putting in the wrong tape. Like. I, literally, some intern got fired for that. Like, <laughs> we're like, Jared, you've done it again. First Holby City, now this. Imagine um, them all sitting down and like watching it. Oh, this is going to be this. What? What is this? <laughs> Who did this? Got my agent on the phone. Imagine, um, imagine, also, if, imagine if somebody done that. Was it a sitcom where it was like literally the story kind of, you know, evolves yeah. like it's a detective show? <laughs> yeah, it was like Sherlock, and everyone's like, "What is happening?" Gives um, away the end, and then you have to watch the rest of the series. No, what's going to happen? Sick. <laughs> ah, you wouldn't get away with that now. Um, Twitter would be all aflame. Um, Although I do, I do realise that, like, obviously he gets a call from his uh, son and his family, and the, uh, he very clearly says, "Oh, I'm going to be on the train on Friday," and then he just never shows up, and we never really get an explanation for that in the episode, apart from the one that Jack makes up. Yeah, uh, so like that's the, um, I think the explanation that he's John is a terrible son. Oh, that makes me so sad. <laughs> that makes me. I have to remind myself. I'm like, they're young. They're actors. They're not real old sad people. I'm like, don't cry, Bethany. <laughs> because even when he comes up, the because he obviously that character reappears like, and he he, think, he finds out because he comes up because he's worried because Victor claims he's got the flu and then yeah. he, he turns up for that and then they kind of have a heart to heart. He says he's gonna he's gonna come up more often, uh, but you never see him again. So <sighs> did they just not show that as part of an episode, or does he literally just never come again? No, I really hope they just. Cho- I'm gonna. I'm gonna choose to believe that he came up and he became a really big part of his dad's life, and they just didn't show it. They just didn't show it because it wasn't funny enough. That's what I'm choosing to believe. Yeah, I think he saw the error of his ways. It just wasn't funny enough to be shown by people in the universe, but he was there yeah. the entire time. Living. He was there. <laughs> he was there the entire time. Yeah, that's no. what I'm believing. Aye, no, no, um, 
No, I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind the fact that you just don't get an explanation. In fact, I think that's stronger. That you just yeah. have to be left to your imagination. That he's just a horrible son that doesn't keep promises. Oh, who could do that? They're all dad. Who could do that? Especially oh. a widowed dad as well. I know, living on his own in a wee council flat. Do you know what I mean? Like, how could you ever? But and and you that, know, that goes back to my reason why I find this like it's just a kind of tougher rewatch than the rest yeah. of series one. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think, but honestly, I think that that's what saves it as an episode. Uh, I think the the humanity of it saves it as an episode because I think the comedy plot lines are kind of weak yeah. for Soul Game. Um, so I think that that was its saving grace. Yeah. And uh, with that, <laughs> I think it might be time to bring on our guest for the evening. Yes, certainly. Um, this is the director of Still Games, Michael Hines. Time to rewatch Still Game with Bethany and Craig. And our guest today is the director of Still Game. It is the one and the only Michael Hines. Let's give him a virtual round of applause. <laughs> Yay! I'll take that. <laughs> Oh. That was an actual mm. round of applause. I just did it with my hands. I know. I'm proud of you. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's going well, guys. It's going well. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show today, Michael. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you indeed. Yes. How are you guys? Okay. Good, yeah. I'm surprised that you have an English accent. Is that bad? It's not a bad I mean, accent. I think it's a great accent. You mean I think is it bad? No, I'll tell well. you something interesting. I uh, I grew up in the north of England, but I moved to Scotland in 1983, so I've been here probably. I'm guessing longer than you've been alive, Beth, which makes me more Scottish than you. You've actually been a, you've actually been here uh, more than I have. <laughs> 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 no, just Bethany. Do you know it's I funny mean... though because I've always had uh, I use Scottish phrases now like "Where do you stay?" and I'll take a wee dram without thinking or anything like that, uh, and um, but. There's a behind the scenes on YouTube of Still Game for one of the series, and someone had put underneath, I can't believe the director's English, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, definitely, definitely. There's, no, there's nothing, not much in an accent, says me. I barely have a Scottish accent. Well, you, it's interesting because in... I think there's a real correlation between uh, the north of England and central Scotland. My dad's family were from Birkenhead, just outside Liverpool, and it was a port. And it was a town that built ships and, you know, it's had a hard time and all the rest of it. It's the double of Glasgow and the people are very, very similar. And mm. I think those kind of uh, ports and northern towns are very similar to Glasgow, less so Edinburgh. I think there's probably more separation in, Ed in Glasgow and Edinburgh than there might be between Liverpool and Glasgow. Yeah, like, I feel like they've both got what my old voice teacher would call an outdoor accent. <laughs> <laughs> Where she always said Edinburgh was an indoor accent. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> That's a great phrase. Yeah. Does that just mean they talk quieter? I think it's more just like, like, Glasgow vowels are all a lot, like, wider. There's a lot more twang in it. So that, obviously, because they, you know, it developed because they were shouting outside, working on the docks. Whereas Edinburgh, that's where Parliament is. That's where a lot of, like, um, like... like Total made-up <laughs> Genuinely, that's what, that's what I got told. That's what yes, I got told. Yes, but if, only, if only there were some docks in, in Edinburgh, I don't know. What do no, they call that least place? <laughs> Edinburgh's nowhere near the sea. What are you talking about? But... To be fair, there is kind of more of a... There's kind of like a Leith accent uh, that's kind of slightly separate from the Edinburgh accent. So maybe mm. maybe that's come from the Leith docks, who knows? Maybe. Well, I did all my high school in Musselburgh. That accent is... Oh, wow. <laughs> that's where um, Jimmy Martin, who plays Eric, stays in Musselburgh. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Strange but dull. Yeah, it's like, it's Muscle Brother, the honest tune. Nah, it's the dullest tune. It's so boring. There's (laughs) nothing there. (laughs) Nice beaches, though. Anyway, we've gotten off topic fast. (laughs) (laughs) Three minutes in, they've answered the the question yet. I know, three minutes in. Um, So, Michael, you directed Still Game, and that is a very exciting thing. Um, You have joined us. This episode is all about chatting to you and your experience and also talking about episode two or four, depending on where you're watching, uh, family. So, Mm -hmm. um, we're just going to hop right in and ask you a few questions. Is that all right with you? Of course it is. Firing. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Okay. so obviously you'll know this because you've talked about it before being the director of a piece is a massive responsibility especially something that had a previous existence like still game obviously it had not had the form of a tv show before uh and uh, on last week's episode we talked about uh making sure that there was enough like content to fill a half an hour episode but how before the show kind of garnered the acclaim that it did how were you sure that you were I guess the man for the job. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, it's interesting because I used to do... I came on board and met the guys for Chewing the Fat, the last series of Chewing the Fat, and then we did the Hogmanay and Christmas specials. So I only knew the still game guys as the old men who sing songs or the old guys from Chewing the Fat. I was completely unaware that it was a theatre show for years, actually, for, like, years. Uh, And then I went away to do something. I can't remember what it was, probably River City or uh, Biker Grove or something, and... During that time, the three characters from Chewing the Fat had pilots made of them. Uh, one of them was Ronald Villiers. The other one was Karen Dunbar's hilarious biology teacher, Isabel, who keeps finding sexual innuendo in everything, and um, still game, uh, and the old guys from Chewing the Fat, as we would call it. And, and for the first series, I would phone up casting agents and say, do you know Chewing the Fat? Do you know the guys who sing all those songs, the old guys? Well, the old it's them. And then in series two, I'd go, do you know that show Still Game? We did it and blah, blah, blah. And then by series three, people were phoning us up to be in it. So um, as with any job as a director, you do the best you can with the script in front of you. When I read the scripts, I always thought they were hysterical. They were really well written, even at an early stage. And they had a bit of a social commentary and a bit of a pathos without being too wanky about it that made it more than just, you know, chewing the fat often would be younger guys coming home with a kebab at night pitched on a Friday watching it and shouting at the telly and there's nothing wrong with that because I've done that for most of my life but um, when you get still game um, people would say women would watch it and people would say oh it made me phone my granddad after that episode or my grandmom's got my nana's got that uh, 
vase in her house and stuff like that and it felt real so when I read it I really liked it and I'd, I'd enjoyed and built up a good working relationship with um, Ford and Greg anyway so when they asked me to do the series I was going to say yes anyway and then I read the scripts and thought they were really funny cold which is episode three is one of my favorites it's hysterical mm. and um, they just asked me to direct it so I dived straight in and what you do is once you're on a show you try and obviously make it the best you can but for years genuinely and I'm not being falsely modest here I didn't really think it was an enormous show. People would tell you and people would talk about it and all that kind of stuff. Is that you trying to reverse out the podcast there, someone? Uh, sorry, that's, uh, I think that's my door downstairs going. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> that's Ford and Greg coming around to say he's talking pish. Um, and, uh, and so it, when, when it stopped in 2006, that's when and the acclaim from the public came in when we did the first live shows. I think that's probably genuinely the first time I really realised what an enormous thing for the people of Scotland it was. Up to that point, it was just great fun to make and it was a show you made. But it, it's not that I had to be convinced there was enough content to make it um, compared to, say, for instance, the stage show because I didn't even know the stage show existed or the theatre yeah. show. Wow. And was that was that difficult for you as a director to come into something where, obviously, it's like, as in my experience, it's quite unusual for the two leads to also be the writers like I hear a lot and I've worked with quite a few writer directors but it's been quite rare that the well, writers have in, you know actually I think you're right in drama but in Britain I would argue that almost universally now in Britain the writers are the stars in it I think two well, doors so down is about the background <laughs> yeah no probably so yeah exactly but in television I think probably two doors down is about the only comedy I can think of nowadays where the writers aren't in it and if you go catastrophe or fleabag or uh, peep mm. show or uh, phoenix nights or uh, still game for instance or blah 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 all of them they're always in it and um I, I think it's very rare to find a sitcom where the writers aren't in it. In America, you have team writing, uh, but in Britain, it tends to be these days two writers and they're in the show or one writer and they're in the show. And so directing comedy is very different from directing drama. In drama, that they and as you'll know this from theatre, the writer tends not to turn up. They write the piece, hand it over to the director, and then the actor expects and respects that creative dialogue with the director. Whereas in mm -hmm. comedy... I get in the way of the funny and you've got to be really careful and not get in the way of funny. So, so directing comedy is very, very different from directing drama in that respect. And Peter Kay, who did Phoenix Nights, he sacked his director because he said he was, he was just getting in the way and he, he knew how he wanted to do the stuff. So right at the beginning was still game. The guys knew the characters and how to play their characters and they knew who they wanted for the main cast, like Winston and Isa and Naveed and so on. Um, and uh, I brought in and suggested Gav Mitchell to play Bobby and then brought in Eric, Jimmy Martin and some other stuff. And then there afterwards, they trusted me to cast all the other roles. Um, yeah. But if they had any main roles, they knew how it was to be performed, which is a good thing because, you know, you said about my English accent earlier on, uh, you know, my Scottish is rubbish. My Scottish accent is <laughs> absolutely rotten. And so early doors, it would have been really terrible for me to go around casting who I thought was Glaswegian it turns out they were from Musselburgh um, but um, <laughs> so I, I think actually in Britain these days it's if you're directing comedy you expect the people to have a very strong say about how it is but, and actually it's funny because if I ever suggested a line the two of them would look at me and sort of point to themselves and type and point at me and say fuck off and <laughs> if it was um, but then of course if they ever wanted to do a shot or suggested a, a sequence of shooting it I would do the same back to them and say no I'm, I'm shooting it you're right in it trot on so uh 
Yeah, no, they, they, they were very clear about what they wanted, but they also very quickly learned to trust me to say, give me the rest to look after and I'll look after it for you. And all the locations and that kind of, and the style of shooting and the pace and the edit and the design and stuff were the kind of things that a director would take on board. But naturally, I think any director would want to make sure that the writers were happy with what you were doing with their baby because they've created it. You know, I didn't write a single word. It's very important to me to represent what they wanted. Obviously, as a director, you want to have creative ownership over the piece. You know, it's not your baby, but you're its kind of godparent, I guess. So, like, what did you do or is there anything that you specifically look at where you're like, that is my stamp that no other director would have done that? That's a really interesting question because I don't know because no other director has worked on it apart from Colin Gilbert, who directed episode one, and mm. I came in and reshot the pub sequences. I genuinely think what I brought to Still Game was an understanding of that... Uh, warmth and humour and community that we get, like I said earlier, in Liverpool or Glasgow and that kind of stuff. Um, but also, I think the pace of it and the edit and mm. not to try to be too clever with the shots and get the shots in the way of the story and just let it sit and be and also to try and make it as real as possible. So uh, St Still Game has never been about silly performances or over-the-top performances. There have been some crazy characters in it, like Robin Coltrane or... Um, big Innis and things like that but actually genuinely the performances are fairly real hyper real maybe they're not ridiculous and it's the lines that are funny and they're real life and so what you want to do is not get in the way of that so I think probably the design and the pace of the edit uh, and the way I shot it is of course my stamp I, to be honest with you and I'm not being again falsely modest I think any good director would have made that show funny because the scripts were great I just made it my version of it and I think the more you stuck with that, the more it became what still game is. But also I used to try and show off, and this gets a bit pretentious, but exterior, the big brutality of the world they lived in. It was always cold. It was always big wide shots. It was always full of concrete. If you think about yeah. Osprey Heights, Kalina Street, Mary Hill, it's on its own, stuck on the top of a hill. It's always windy. And their lives are hard and they fight against the outside world. And then when they're in their own little world together inside the Klansman, it's red and it's warm and it's brown. It's all those colours and it feels alive. And then when you're outside, it's blue and concrete and cold and grey. And you can get a bit wanky with that. But that's the kind of thing you try and add into it, but you don't want to obscure from what they've written. Well, I was going to ask about that, like the like the kind of brutalist shots that you used. It looked almost like dystopian. You look at it and you're like, that could, that could be in the Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it know? is dystopian like... for some pensioners. If you think of some pensioners going and, and you've got 25 quid to last the entire week or £15 mm. to last the entire week and you've been told you have to pay for your TV licence and the heating's not working, it is dystopian, you know. And yeah. um, there's a, in, in Cold, actually, when they're talking about Tony Blair wants pensioners to die because it's too expensive and they've got... The way they do is to laugh at it through bleak yeah, black humour by having the uh, hypothermia derby, the death derby, you know. And, and I think... That's the truth of Skill Game, those pathos and reality of we're at the end of our days. But in all seriousness, you know, I'm in my 50s and I still think I'm in my 30s in my head. I probably act about 14, unfortunately. But, uh, and I guarantee, Craig, you'll be the same. I don't know how old you are, but you don't, you, you don't think you're the age you are. And I don't know if that's the case for women, Beth, but I certainly think it's the case for guys. We, never, we always think we're younger than we are. We don't imagine we're that age, you know. No, I certainly don't act 34, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 14's probably about right, yeah. Uh, maybe uh, maybe about. slightly older, 19. What about you, Beth? Do you feel the age you are? Do you think you're the age or do you think you're younger in your head? Um, I, I quite consistently tell people I'm still 19. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't ask how old you are, but that's fine. I think that's just what I felt the most impressive. 
<laughs> so I'm like, ah, yes, it is me, the teen. Um, I was no, certainly not. not impressive at 19, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm mid-20s now and I'm enjoying it. I'm chilling. <laughs> hmm. Uh, Michael, I was going to ask. So you said the the kind of you were then kind of trusted with like casting a lot of the kind of one off characters to come in. Which uh, if there's any that you haven't mentioned so far, which are the ones that you most kind of impressed by? Where you thought that you kind of really kind of nailed uh, the actor for the part. It's tricky because as you went on, you would always run them by Ford and Greg. But I think probably the casting of Jimmy Martin as Eric was probably the most inspired because if you think about it, it's kind of crazy to have all these young people with uh, makeup on and then have an old person there as well. And so Eric was the actual only old person and he would bring him in and he would be part of the gang. And, you know, we all as viewers never batted an eye and he just accepted it. So I was, I was really proud of that. And um, I was really proud of bringing Gavin, who had an association, it turns out, with the theatre show by playing the original Winston 100 years ago um, be, uh, before I knew so I think those two definitely. Uh, I think probably um, sometimes you'll you'll get someone doing a reading uh, in an audition, and you'll think uh, that's really funny. That's different to what I imagined, and I really like the way you did that. Uh, there was an actor called Alan McCafferty who was the one where they went into town in episode one or two, in series one or two, where they went into town, just being pals, going into town and went to the restaurant. And he was the waiter, Norman. Yes. And he was hysterical at it. He was absolutely brilliant at it. The bigger names like Robbie Coltrane would kind of contact Ford and Greg and say, could they be in the show? Or we asked them and that, that kind of thing. Or uh, I suggested Clive uh, for, I forgot his name now, of course, off the top of my head, uh, for... Um, Beginners. We were trying to get someone else who wasn't available, and I liked this guy, and they suggested him. Uh, oh, his name will come back to me. Um, but uh, so I guess, I guess most of the time it, you would have up to sixty people in a series, and you would get a whole raft of people coming through, and you were just trying to find ones that were really funny. I think Jamie Quinn as Fergie is hysterical uh, when he was on full on Ned mode. Or that really nasally, amazing Ned voice. And, and they would just laugh in the audition and you think, that's the right person for me. So I think it's probably less about the characters because I wouldn't let anyone who I didn't think was the character in the show. So I, I think I nailed them all in that respect. But certainly there's some casting choices like Eric I'm most proud of, I guess. Yeah, because the impressive thing about Eric is that, as you say, he's the only old guy, actual old guy. Yeah. You see them all lined up together in the pub and... Well, it's more kind of impressive for the kind of I suppose the makeup and the way that the the kind of main cast act that you don't think you don't look at it and it doesn't become in, like immediately obvious that it's like four younger guys playing dress up and one older guy beside them. It yeah, just looks like, you just accept it, which yeah. is nice, you know. And then there's the show went on and Eric be and Jamie became older. Obviously, he became the older of that lot. Uh, and that kind of made sense. But to begin with, yeah, they were all supposedly the same age, you know. And when I watch series one now, uh, I look at the makeup and think, actually, probably they look like quite a lot of Glaswegians at 50, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, and remember, I've been living in Glasgow for tens of years before anyone starts giving me pelters. Um, and, um, and, th and then they grew into their parts and looked older and older and better as they went on in that respect, you know. So there's a, there's a couple of quirks of the, the first series. Uh, first of all is that, well, you directed every single episode of Still Game of Rent saying, except from the pilot. Yeah, so what happened was I was away working and the pilot was shot to see if it was going to go as a series. And when they said yes, quite often the pilot becomes episode one. But there was a, And so 
um, Colin Gilbert had directed the pilot. He used to do Rabsy Nesbitt and, and, and hundreds of shows and that kind of thing around the comedy unit. So it was in perfectly safe hands. And then when we went to do the series, the pub was actually, I think it was the two ways in Partick and it was a different pub landlord. It was a different Bobby and there was a, a pub girl, like a, a, a barmaid. And we decided to redo the pub and recast it. And, and at that point, that's what I brought in. So I reshot the pub sequences in Ep 1. The rest of it Colin did. And then from that point onwards, I shot everything else. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, I love that. And the other, the other thing, the other quirk of season one is, is kind of, as Bethany mentioned at the top there, it's, it's either episode two or it's episode four because they ran out of order. On, well, on the BBC. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I don't think they ran out of order in the sense that a good sitcom, you start at A, you go to B, and by the end of next week, you're back at A again. Every sitcom resets. Otherwise, yeah. uh, it, one foot in the grave, Victor Meldrew would have learned his lesson and not be such a grumpy bastard the next week. So I, I disagree. And actually, what's interesting, which I don't think a lot of people know, when we get the scripts in, quite often I would suggest to the boys... That's a great ep one, and that's obviously the last one. But the ones in between, we can probably juggle these up a bit. And how about making that ep two, or how about making that ep one? And as the series went on, when we came back in 2016, they started to drop in things that had consequences leading up to the end. So you couldn't do that as much. But certainly in the first few series, uh, family and cold and all the rest of them, and brief and whatever, you could have done them in any order. It kind of made sense to me, though, that... Uh, with Victor moving into Osprey Heights, that uh, sorry, Jack moving into Osprey Heights, that uh, in the second episode you get to touch on family and also everyone around them. So that was quite nice. And then Ep three was cold. And, and what, what is Ep four now in series one? I can't remember. Is it brief or is that second? No, that's the second series. Yeah, I'll need to hang on. Give me a second. I'll just check. There's wedding. There's there's wedding. Family. <laughs> I, we should just Google it instead, pretending we don't know. You know. Uh, number four is Cotton. Right. So it's, uh, go. it goes Flitton, Family, Cold, Cotton, uh, Waden, and Scones. Waden, as if they're wading through stuff. <laughs> wedding, yeah. Is that what it is? It's supposed to be Wedding. Yes. Yeah, Wedding. Yeah, Wedding. I know, I know. But And it's also one. funny because my one of my favourite episodes I'm most proud of is Cards or Cairds, C A I R D S. And of course, in my accent, I used to get a piss ripped right out of me on set going, Right, everyone, <laughs> let's do Cairds. And uh, although I actually don't speak like that. Um, and, and when they're in the pub and they say, No, Cards is what you play Cairds with, or Cairds is what you play Cards with, all that. Kind of, but I'm super proud of that episode, you know. Mm. Uh, I think that was uh, yeah, that was the two questions I had about that. Uh, Bethany, um, I was just obviously you know you talked about having such respect um, for the whole team when you came on board, and arguably not to blow you know smoke up your hole, but obviously that's probably <laughs> why it did so well because you were able to hold yourself back and kind of let the words and the jokes run and speak for themselves. And there are a lot of um, like visual jokes as we were talking about. Obviously in the pilot, there's the whole funeral scene where they like you know they pop the food on top of the dead body and they measure up the thing like how whoa I have another question how much of that was scripted and how much of that was you know did you have time to play on set and work things out or was it it's funny because I think the boys knew exactly what they wanted and I give an example of that there was a scene where uh, Naveed uh, says uh, oh you look as rough as a badger's ass and (laughs) 
he was good. he said in one of the takes, "You look as rough as the badger's ass," and it's funny, but it's not as funny as the analogy of a badger's ass. And what the boy said was, "The joke isn't that Naveed can't speak English; it's the fact that he can't. He's got a great analogy, so don't doctor what's a funny analogy by adding in the different participle in front. He didn't voice it that way. That's me analysing it. And if you're going down to that nth degree, it's a very classic thing the boys have always said, which is don't spoil a big funny thing with a little funny thing before it. It's um, they knew what they wanted, and the scripts were pretty much bolted down. Where they did change, so they didn't change the words. But at the ends of scenes or the way we entered or did a certain stunt or did certain things like that, um, they would uh, take suggestions then. And quite often Paul Riley would say, oh, how about this or how about that? But the storylines they came up with were taken from a lot of different things. So when there's an episode where Tam keeps blagging stuff off Winston to go on holiday and he ends up giving him mayonnaise instead of sun cream and he ends up coming back really, really uh, sunburned, that happened in his life someone did that to him so there's an awful lot of real stories and pranks and that kind of stuff because they were terrible to each other about that where uh, they, that would enter into the story world but now there's not a lot of time to play on set there's a lot of time for um trying to work out the best way to deliver the joke or the best reaction to a joke and without going into it too deep basically jokes are split into two things it's either expected or unexpected you know, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side is the expected line. Why did the chicken cross the road, fuck off, is the unexpected. And, and it's funny because you know what the expected is. So there's that great scene in Only Fools and Horses where they're undoing the chandelier and you're lead, led to believe they're about to drop the chandelier. They don't, they drop the other chandelier. And it's unexpected because it's been set up. They're such idiots, you think something's going to happen, but what you don't expect is the other thing. So when you boil down to the comedy, you say, do we expect that to happen? How do I get everyone to laugh at the same time? So... Uh, look who it is, Nee, Ant and Deck, two pints prick, I don't even know who that is, whatever. That's expected, so you want everyone to laugh at the same time, so you, you've got the line at the right time, you're on the right shot, and that's it. And if it's unexpected, like when the fridge went in the car in brief, that's completely unexpected. So what I didn't want to do was cut to it at the last minute because everyone went, oh, what's going on here? You just had it happen in the back of shot, and everyone just goes, wow, I didn't expect that. So when you say was the time to play on set, not so much with words, but actions to a degree, but also the way to construct the laugh and the joke and the shot to make sure they all melded together and, and say, right, well, obviously we'll be on this at that moment in the edit, so that's, that needs to be in this position, if that makes sense. And you would spend time working that out. Wow. You sound quite precise as a director. Is that how you would describe yourself? No, I'm really precise after the event. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, it precisely. <laughs> yes, do you know what? But I have a really low boredom threshold and I know exactly what I want because I can see it in my head. And then so when I see the script and I see it, if I see it in my head, a good script, I can I can see the, the TV, the video or whatever you want to call it. And then um, filming is trying to attempt to get what you had in your head. And often it's not going to quite work out like that or someone does something different that leads you down a different path and that delights you. But when you look at it, when you, because obviously I learned an awful lot on the job. I learned from Colin Gilmer. I learned on the job. I learned from Ford and Greg, the way they construct the jokes. As you learn as the series goes on, you go, oh, that's the way we're going to do that. That's clever. And sometimes there's something really simple, which you can have a lot of fun with, like when they fall over in cold, you know, the, the boy from Timpsons is getting kicked in the nuts bit. That's just slapstick and it's funny. And actually, if you know too much about it and too precise, you can ruin it because you just want people to fall over and that's funny. But sometimes you can be really clever about it and have just the right shot at the right moment. And you go, ah, he's worked at that. That's clever. Yeah. 
looking at this uh, episode, Michael, what is yeah. uh, which? So you've got. Uh, so hopefully you've rewatched it for this podcast. What was your kind of? <laughs> what was your kind of overall thoughts of, of episode two? Well, when I watched it the other day for this podcast, I laughed because I'd completely forgotten when, how Winston ended up in hospital, and I'd forgotten that storyline <laughs> just about. And um, when I saw him and Peggy, I thought, "Oh, they fight. Why is it they fight again?" And then I remember. And at one point, I thought it was, he was getting his leg off because he was always in hospital. Obviously, it wasn't that. Um, and then the rest of it, uh, I remembered quite clearly, but I thought it had a different ending. I thought John did appear because there's another episode where John promises to come again, and, but he does turn up, and it's where Victor pretends to be really ill to get mm-hmm. him over. And I thought that was interwoven because it all clouded into one baguette. So I'd remembered most of it. The other storyline with um, Winston, I'd forgotten about uh, and then, uh, but yeah, the rest of it was fine. I'd forgotten also who played what, like Jackie Farrell playing the really chatty guy in the hospital bed and uh, that kind of stuff. And Billy, uh, Billy Boyd Hi, playing the Billy guy Boyd. in Central Station. Yeah, yeah like, totally. He was, yeah, he was Paul Riley's, uh, he's Paul Riley's best friend and a really good pals. And he'd just finished doing Lord of the Rings and he came over. And so it was this massive film and we were like, do you want to be get called a, a, a what do you call it, a tramp's name Jakey or whatever it is he gets called? Uh, and he's like, oh, sure, I'll come out for the day. So he had a beard and he came out and he sat there and, and it was great fun having him out there. You know, he's a lovely fella and uh, we got to be pals afterwards. And that bit is, is terrific with the um, bat and ball thing where he gets told to piss off and then he comes back later and they're playing with the bat and ball. But, you know, it's funny because that was in 2001, I think it was, 2002. And... Um, You'd never be allowed in the Central Station to do that kind of filming now, to have Jack shouting across Central Station. It'd have to be all organised and sanitised and safe and all that kind of thing. And we basically, uh, Scottish Rail said, uh, Scott Rail said, yeah, come along and film. And we just took over the concourse. It was great fun. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No It's mad how little it's changed as well. I was watching it and yeah. I was like, that looks like mass- the central station I was in today. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, with the big clock and all the rest, of it, and the, probably the benches in the same place. Yeah, it's mad. It's absolute madness. <laughs> yeah, and I love seeing bit places that I recognise, like the bit right at the end where they're sat. Um, they're doing it at, at the canal, um, and yeah. I, I was like, I've been there, I've been there. It's because I used to live there. Like, the block of flats really close to there. I'm like, that's my house. <laughs> and it's really nice being, obviously, growing up in uh, Edinburgh, but I've lived in Glasgow since I came here for uni like five six years ago and it's actually really nice to see places that you know and that you've lived like it's kind of like a little easter egg for you know, yeah it's people. funny because the clansman's disappeared the clansman's now got flats where it was um mm. but colleen stewart's still there but if you if you watch carefully there's an episode called dog and it starts off i used to try and get to start each episode with something to do with the episode um so family i think it starts in a portrait i can't remember the opening shot now i've said that of course but the first couple of series have really tried hard that the opening shots would have something to do with the episode. So there's an episode called Dog, and there's a dog running across the road, 
and there's a whole row of houses on, just below where uh, in Kalina Street where Osprey Heights is and they all got knocked down between two series and we came back and it all just disappeared so the landscape's changed quite a bit in a lot of areas and then there's a new set of houses down below there as well uh, and the Klansman's away and what have you it's nice to see Osprey Heights still there and it's nice to see the, the cafe's still there and in Town Head and Navid's is still there as well yeah I think I would like location. Was that a really was that a really big deal for you guys? Did you spend a lot of time? Like, was there no temptation to just? Obviously, building sets isn't always an option. But was there no temptation to fake it a little bit more? <laughs> well, it's interesting because the flats at Kalina Street are tiny and they've got really low ceilings, and that's really difficult to light. So we don't really we never we always built um, Jack and Victors and Winston's and Isa's flat. And actually, Isa's flat was Victor's flat, just painted differently uh, because oh. it was the same setup and you just turned a different way. Um, and um, Shug's interior is a set. I can quite clearly remember that, but it was a set that we dressed all that sound recording gear and things like that. And of course, this episode is the introduction of Shug and who knew he would go on to be such a superstar member of the oh, cast. Mate. And when we phoned up Paul Young, I'm just going off the rails here a bit, but when we phoned up Paul Young to ask him if he wanted a beard, he said, he said what part am I playing? I was like, because I didn't know, I knew Paul was a really famous actor and a really great actor as well. And I was like, well, it's this uh, guy who's got really good hearing. Is it because I've got bastard in massive ears? And I went, well, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's great. He's great in it. Uh, not oh, to brilliant. spoil any of our uh, things for later that we say, but he was one of my standout characters for this episode. I just, I just thought he was so funny. His delivery of everything was just perfect. Yeah, it's hard coming into a series where everyone's been in. And although there was only one episode, you kind of shoot out of order. So I don't know how long it was before he came in, but he fitted right in and, mm. and created his own wee world and uh, as a, like a you know confident individual in that community. And he was brilliant. And then he kind of, he, he gets more and more accepted later on because, you know, they call him a prick several times in the first ep when you see him in that ep. But later on, he becomes part of the team, you know, and I really like that. I, I loved working with him. And also... He was a really well-trained television actor, so he would hit his mark and do his eye lines and know his props and all the rest of it, as opposed to the other idiots who were just wandering around like sheep on holiday. Yeah, and scrolling uh, through his his online CV, like he has done a lot. That man. Oh, I, gosh. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a well-kent actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. A proper and you proper know what? actor. No one tells you about that. I don't know if um, listeners at home are like that aware of how things work on set. But I remember, like my first ever day, like as as an actor, I'd never been acted in front of a camera before. I didn't even have an in person audition. It was like it was a wee self tape that I'd filmed at home, and I arrived and they put this mark on and the. It's so right. This is going to sound so lame. It is so hard to hit your mark without looking at your feet, like oh, counting totally. how many steps, knowing how you know how long a stride that you can take, and knowing you know that and where you want your thing to be, and having to get it quick because the light's fading and all of that. It's so. It's such a different world. <laughs> it's funny because I've taught I've taught screen acting uh, at several universities, and it, it depends on the size of the shot. Because obviously, if it's a big close up, you have to be absolutely on your mark. But also, mm. the close up means you can just be off your mark and not be in shot. It's the mid shots where you have to be quite far away and walk in. But the problem is, everyone takes the right amount of steps, but the momentum carries them past the mark and they have to come back. If you ever yeah. want to laugh, watch detective series where detective knocks at the door, looks down at his feet to see he's on the mark and looks up and goes, yes, I've just got some questions for you. And, 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 and <laughs> part of his acting is to look down at his feet as if he's thinking and I'm like that. You're looking for your mark, you lazy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're, you're cheating. I can see yeah, it. Yeah, totally cheating. Oh, yeah, me. they all cheat. <laughs> 
I love that. I love it when you spot wee things and you're like, I know exactly mm. what you're doing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, Craig, have you got any more questions? No, I think I've, I've asked everything I'd, I'd like to ask, I think. I know. I feel like I've asked too much. Thank you so much. Didn't You gave such... I was about to say beautiful. You gave such in-depth answers. It was great. Really, it's really <laughs> What do you think of the episode? Do you know what? Like, do you know what really stood out for me? Actually, it's quite funny. Um, how much? Like, obviously, I know because I have grandparents and I have great uncles and aunties who still use this type of language. But what really stood out to me is like the like casual homophobia, <laughs> <laughs> like that's kind of thrown out. And I don't, um, I don't. It doesn't make me dislike the episode or dislike the writers, but it does. It's just a wee throwback of when you were twelve. Well, I'll tell you something interesting, Beth. Is that the whole first four series probably had quite a lot of what we would call homophobic language, and mm. it's not meant that way at all. And Bobby would get called a queer hawk all the time, mm. and he, people, you know, my granddad kind of used that language affection or not and it's not trying to defend it or justify it but when we came back and were aware of it we just cut it all out because it's not right but at the time it you know just as you look at old series it, it, it is interesting it's the amount of swearing but actually the amount of swearing the type of language isn't half as much as you see some in some stuff in two doors down uh, Elacey oh, Smith's yeah. character Christine uses the f word as an adjective every other phrase, and we never actually said the word fuck or fucking in the entire 62 eps. So the language is fascinating, and it is quite casual, and it's meant that way because there was never any, um, uh, like you say, homophobia intended. But it, it, but it, it is ref- interesting. It reflected life at the time. Yeah, it still reflects life. I think in a yeah, lot of yeah, areas, well, people yeah. do that. You know, I agree totally with you. Yeah, no, I, think- I do. I, I do. Yeah, I mean, I remember being, what, 12, 13 before I realised that calling your pal gay wasn't an insult, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't a synonym for, for lame or, or loser or anything like that. And it was uh, probably around the time of my own sexual awakening that I realised. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> that's me. At 12? My word. <laughs> well, you know, you're like, you're like, yeah, no, you're like I know, oh, I know, I'm kidding. You know? I fancy I think, girls now. The oh, thing no. is, when you look back at that app for me, it's funny because I love cold so much that I forget about family and family. But what I loved about it was it really set in motion that thing that Still Game has that's quite unique in a lot of comedies, which is real heart, the real warmth and real pathos, the sadness there. And the argument between Jack and Victor at the beginning when they're talking about he'll come, no, he won't come. And what happens is later on, Victor says, oh, he's not going to come. And instantly Jack defends his pal and said, no, he will come. He will come. Even though he's just three scenes earlier saying he'll never come. And it's that real thing about warmth and friendship. And they say, what you need is your friends, which is why you've got that great punchline where Winston's going, oh, it's about your friends. That's who's there. It's not your family. And Jack and Victor are saying that in the pub. And then you cut into Winston (laughs) on his own. And it's that backwards fuzz there. But I think what it set up really early was... um, a lot of people did say to them afterwards, I watched the app and I went and rang my granddad because it, it made me realise I'd not been in touch with him. And they're easy people to forget. And um, you think they're all right. Because when you're younger, you always think those older than you are okay. But it, I always remember that when it went out, the effect it had, that it was just more than just a, a silly comedy. There was heart to it. And I think that's one of the things I love about the writing so much. And that was the episode that really put it in. Like we were talking earlier in Cold, it became the politics of pensioners but this one was about the heart of pensioners and that's lovely yeah and i think the shot 
Uh, sorry, I just got a little bit emotional. Um, I think the shot that you used when they're sat at the pub and uh, Victor's talking about, um, oh, and that's just it. We and you know they go and uh, when when, yeah. they, when they have that. Oh, and like it's just uh, if I'm right, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's just one long shot and it starts mm-hmm. on his left hand side and it pans all the way around his right hand side and you, you just see his face the whole time and there aren't any like cuts. It's just like a like a minute or so of like uninterrupted. Monologue. See, I love that. I love really long takes because if it holds your interest, you don't need to cut and get in the way of it, and you don't want to ruin the timing of the series. He's a good funny. Actor. <laughs> yeah, and also it's good acting. But it is nice for that for the people to sit at home and take that in. And actually, when we came back, we in, in 2016, we started cutting it a lot quicker, and people were like, "Oh, it's not like Steel Game," but that's because the, the landscape of television language had changed. But at that time, you could leave it on a shot for a long time. And sometimes when I look back, I went, "Wow." I would never get away with that just now, just leaving it on that three shot for about four minutes, you know. And um, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. And, and and it is nice because the acting's all there and it is serious and it's well meant. And then you think these are young people doing those lines. That's when you realise that there's something really rich going on there. Yeah, yeah. And do you think, um, sorry, ever so slightly off topic, do you think the whole, you know, the age of... I don't want to say the age of YouTube, but the age of, you know, more uh, media in demand, media that has faster cutting, that kind of brighter, colourful, like, kind of Netflix thing that's happening. Do you think that has really heavily influenced the way that directors cut comedy now? No, I think I think what it is, is uh, it's about writing. And if scenes are shorter, you can't help but do it. And secondly, yes, I agree, our concentration span is much shorter. If you think about when we're scrolling at Facebook at night, if something doesn't engage you within two seconds, two seconds, you scroll off it. If it doesn't get you straight away, you know, you and I will scroll off it and jump on the next thing. I think what's interesting is that Netflix actually is packed full of really well-written dramas and comedies. And we're watching more drama and content that's um, fictional than we ever did in a sense because they were expensive and so you didn't have a lot of them on telly beforehand. You know, I grew up watching a lot of music shows because that's what was on telly a lot and then rarely, and then sketch shows um, and sitcoms you liked, but it was mainly sketch shows I grew up loving and music shows because there wasn't a lot of regular drama. And now we can watch a new box set of a different drama every single day if you want. If you think about stuff on Netflix or Amazon or Apple, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, because of the ability of the technical uh, equipment, things do look a lot shinier, but not necessarily better. But I don't know if it's necessarily all cut a lot quicker. What's interesting is a while back I watched um, 24 Hours in A&E, and uh, it was a big, it was at Channel 4, and there were 700 cuts in an hour because uh, I counted it for an exercise. And I'm like, that's MTV style almost once every two seconds or something like that, and that's exhausting to watch. Mm. So, so when you get a well-written thing, if the content holds it, then you can stay on the shot. But if if someone's speaking, our con- our concentration thing has gone down quite a bit. They tend to speak in short bursts, so then you cut. So I would argue for directors were forced often by the uh, content to cut. The thing that drives me mad is in primetime dramas when they start doing a cut for no other reason or a track for no reason or shooting through a bit of glass for no other reason or something's out of focus. But that's because I'm slightly old-fashioned that way. I like to tell the story in a different way. And they're the unusual shots and that kind of stuff, and it becomes clever. And it enriches some, but otherwise it gets in the way of them. And that's when the shots start to take over. However, those directors fairly, I guess, in their world would argue – that's the way I shoot stuff, and it's very successful. I think, you know, yeah. it's, cycl- it's cyclical, all this kind of stuff. It'll turn again. 
Yeah, but arguably, I mean, I think I agree with you. I think content should dictate form, you know, maybe not the other way around. I've never been a fan of, I mean, I, I, <laughs> she says, coming from a background of musical theatre, I've never been a fan <laughs> of cleverness for cleverness's sake, you know? I yeah, think, I think yeah. you know, story and character should, should, should drive the art that, you know, surrounds it. Um, well, stories are what we always remember. And when we remember a good story watched on TV, we might go, well, that was really clever the way they did that. So in the Sherlock series, when they started having texts or his thoughts on screen and, mm. and the way he deduced stuff on screen, he went, oh, that's a really clever device and that's a really nice way of doing it. But if the stories were rubbish, you would have gone, did you see that rubbish last night? And you wouldn't have commented on it, and it, or it yeah. would have driven you mad, or it would have annoyed you. But instead, you went, oh, that's a really clever device because the story and the content was right. So I do think things need to be well written first and foremost. Yeah. And again, it comes back to Still Game, the fact that, you know, you, we were, you were able as a director to make it so good because the writing was so good. That's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know? Do you know what? It's not just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no. I, well, that's that's true. Do you know what? It's difficult because I don't want to be falsely modest, and I'm enormously proud of it. But um, it, it's it's my job, and yeah. it's really awkward to sort of go, "Yeah, it's fucking great, wasn't it?" Because it just sounds like I'm boasting, <laughs> you know. And I'm delighted. And actually, when we got back to the stage shows, we suddenly realised that actually the people of Scotland owned it, and that's not a silly thing to say. It wasn't up to us how we did it anymore. We had to remake it how they remembered it and you had 19 year old guys being nostalgic for something for when they were eight and you're like you're only 19 you shouldn't be nostalgic for another 30 years but they were going oh it's not the same as it was and I'm like wow because you grew up loving it and so we had a responsibility to make it that way and that's when I realized that's my stamp of how I took their words and put it on the screen that's what I'm proud of so I guess mm. pride and proud, uh, how proud I am of it is, is my way of saying, yeah, I did good. But I couldn't bring myself to say, hey, look at me, how good am I? Because that just feels <laughs> like you're kind of boasting a bit. Yeah, well, it's hard to it's hard to recognise when you do well as an artist. You know, we are we are told to, I guess, feign modesty a wee bit. But I know it's good. Be like, yeah, good job. Well done. Pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. It's better to when somebody Scottish uh, praises you. It's like backhanded. Aye. You're no shite. You're no Aye. shite. <laughs> you're no it's shite. Like the end of, it's like at the end of Babe where he goes, that'll do, pig. It's like that Yorkshire thing. All right, lad. And, and it's very funny, isn't it? Yeah. I remember when my mum came to see like one of the uh, my showcase and uh and she went and she was like and she went you couldn't have picked a nicer dress but you sang very very well <laughs> and i was like thanks <laughs> it's like cool sick thanks well there you go <laughs> but i bet she's i bet she's probably the most proudest person of you there is oh bless she's proud of all of us no matter what we do she's very sweet <laughs> oh anyway um shall we move on yes uh, thank you thank you michael very much for joining us not at all. It's been a pleasure. Nice chatting to you guys. You too. Thank you so, so much. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk to. All right, guys. Take care. We'll speak later. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Time to rewatch Still Game with Bethany and Craig. And that was director of Still Game, Michael Hines. He was brilliant. Yes, he so was. So good. Yes, you were in your element there, I have to say. 
I'm not. Uh, yeah. Well, do you know what? I am a nerd, and it really came out. <laughs> it really came out to that. I'm so sorry. I was like, oh, yeah. And what about this? And what about that? And what about you, as a wanky, wanky artist, artist? Um, I loved it. it sorry, I just nipped out for a for a fag. <laughs> I, a fag and a pish. Come back. And we're like, really? And how did you put your creative stamp on that? <laughs> Good fun um, though. Learned a lot. I hope uh, I hope did too. Yeah, oh yeah, gosh, because you forget how much of a different world it is. You know, when you sit and you watch it, you don't think about everything. You don't think that everything you see on your screen is a choice. Yeah. You know? You, you have Every to, single thing. Yeah, I've started to kind of get into that mindset when I'm like when we're doing pop culture podcasts and kind of talking about movies, especially. Just thinking that every single thing they do is deliberate for a reason and then just trying yeah. to kind of decipher that reason. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of a cool way to watch stuff. Kind of gets in the way of enjoyment sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's mental. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it does get in the way of the enjoyment, but maybe that's because I've always enjoyed that aspect of being like, what does it mean though? What is that? The fact that the cup is red, what does that mean? <laughs> right, should we go to categories? Let's get on to categories. So, Craig, tell me, in this episode two or four, family, <laughs> what is your favourite joke? Um, I've got a couple for this. One of them's kind of more a running joke than uh, mm. just a joke itself. But uh, the one I've got is just kind of a joke itself. Well, this is also a running joke as well, but it's it's more a sentence. It's for not even a sentence. Yeah, yeah, just a, a two-word sentence that's uh, repeated right, quite a lot. Same fucking thing, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's uh, your Wecklam. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've written the same thing. I've written uh, this the runny joke because it's so... You would just take the piss, pick, like, piss out of your friends for that, wouldn't you? Aye, and it's, it's one of those things that's just kind of managed to burrow itself into my vocabulary through the years. Yeah. I just say that for time to time. Your Wecklam. Yeah, and the payoff at the end was like, home sweat home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but the, the other one I had was a uh, running joke is uh, shugs, hearing jokes. Aye. So when, like, they say, like, oh, can he hear through walls now? And then he comes out, like, yeah, I can. And then. And he's got these massive ears. Aye. And then when they close the door and he's like, he says prick, and he says it really quietly. And then just you hear the, the voice from through the door. I heard that. <laughs> and then of course like, of course right famously at right at the end with the with the bread as well. Yeah, I buys that shitey breed, you know. Snappy shopper. <laughs> Twenty-two pins a loaf. <laughs> That's because he's a miserable old bastard, eh? <laughs> Sunglass! Best of gear! <laughs> and I think that was filmed up at the canal in Mary Hill. Because I used to live there. I don't anymore, so if you're listening to this, don't stalk me. But um, I li- used to live in the, like, the flats right next to the, that canal, and I was like, I swear I recognise that. So I hope I'm not wrong. But... Probably will be, because as we've discussed, like, a lot of the filming took place around about Mary Hill, so probably yeah. was. Hi. Well, there you go. Um, so we kind of had the same two big favourite jokes, like two biggest jokes, obviously, in the episode. Uh, what was your favourite line reading in this episode? The, I found this one a bit tricky. Mm. Uh, there wasn't a lot that stood out for me. It, uh, the one that I wrote down was uh, Ironside. <laughs> that delivery was very good. <laughs> done. My voice kind of cracked a wee bit as I done it. I think I could have done it better if I didn't Aye. suddenly turn it a fourteen-year-old halfway through it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, it's the fact it's a juxtaposition that works so well because he just shouts yeah. that and it's, it's so triumphant. 
and emphatic and enthusiastic. He's so pleased with himself that he's remembered the detective he was trying to think of. A detective that wears a... What was it? A detective that wears a... a, a uh, oh, I can't even remember now. Aye, it was... Aye, fucking... A, a thing over that would keep them warm. I, I've completely blanked like a trench board. coat? No. An anorak? No. <laughs> I've lost it. I don't know what you mean. Like a, a cover, a blanket. Oh, yeah, a yeah. blanket. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah, it. blanket. What kind of detective wears a blanket? That, yeah. yeah, that's it. Uh, and but it comes the juxtaposition is it just comes right after Victor's been kind of pouring his heart out on how like his son's let him down before and, and blah 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 and then Jack's just off in his own wee world to try to think of this detective it's just I just the way Aye. he delivers it just like like I say so so enthusiastic and just yeah. <laughs> cuts <laughs> cuts good. right but like cuts right through what Victor's saying it doesn't matter at all oh, so yeah that was mine that's so you? good. So for best line reading, uh, I have two options. Number one is that uh, she wants to pump you when he, she's uh, he's talking about how ice is coming in and cleaning the flat for him. I just think it's really funny and the idea of old people pumping. Aye, um, it's also it's, he, he says it quite mischievously as well. It's aye. like it's like she wants to pump you. Yeah, and I'm like oh, <laughs> it just gives me the wee hoobie doobies. Um, and the other one is bombo. Half two. <laughs> <laughs> of course I. End of message. Oh no! What time did he say? I couldn't hear the time for that noise. It could be any time. No, wait a minute. Let's think logically. We'll be arriving on Friday at half two. Oh yeah, half two. No. Oh, that's smashing, eh? Thanks very much for that, Jackie. What about this? Half three, half four, half five, you silly bastard. But I think out of the two of them, it's definitely got to be bomb-bomb, uh, half two, because uh, it's just just very, very funny. Yes. <laughs> they did it very well. That could easily have been an unfunny line, you know? Yes. Yeah. No, that's, those, are, those are good choices, actually. So yeah, there was, there was more, more line, good line readings than I thought. Yeah, do you know what? Don't doubt them, Craig, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I ever doubted. Still game. <laughs> how, how dare you? Um, next up is my favourite category, Best Supporting Character. I think you've said already you're probably going to go with Shug. Yes, yes I am. Uh, I'll say different and I'll go for Lynn McCallum's performances as Peggy McAlpine. Okay, I like it, I like it. Defend your case, sir. Oh, only really at the start, she's completely... It's, it's kind of perfect. Her kind of warring with people, it's a very kind of spiky character. It's somebody mm-hmm. who does not suffer fools lightly, is, is happy to go at anybody, has no sort of decorum, really, at all. Yeah. And uh, it's just a, a great way for her to shine. And I just kind of think, I actually think this episode could have done with a little bit more of her. That just kind of part of the story just kind of completely drops out. She only really returns as part of Wilson's, uh, Wilson, uh, Winston's <laughs> nightmare when he's in the hospital. Yeah, and I think I could have done more with her as well, you know. But it's a very, it's one of kind of her most memorable turns, I would say, especially for me in the show. Uh, where, mm. aye, and uh, as Michael says, when she, aye, when she falls on, on, on Winston. That's very funny as well. Yeah. And it is nice. Like, it is nice to see 
oh, she's getting feminist. Uh, it's nice to see a woman playing somebody that is so grotesque. Like she kind of walks with her mouth open and she does this little sneer with her teeth out and her tongue out. And she talks about eating all this meat just to spite this man. And then she just fucking dicks him. I'm like, do you know what? Yeah, <laughs> do it. Do it, bitch. Yes. That's <laughs> uh, great. Yeah, okay. I, I, I don't change my answer, but I respect your answer. Fair enough. <laughs> um, now I've already covered this a wee bit as well talking to Mikey boy uh, but what do you think aged poorly in this episode I think it's it's kind of what you were alluding to earlier the uh, doesn't like men's pubs bit aye. of a poofter aye I uh, poofed her, pansy bastard. Very, I very, I yeah, pansy bastard was just before then, and then also followed up very quickly by, I does he when they get the sleeper train done at once when he was younger and some queer hawk tried to touch him up. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Queer hawk's just gay, just die. Oh right, okay. I mean, I got that from the queer. I just, I'd never heard that term before. I was like, is that like a queer with a mohawk? Don't understand. <laughs> there was a, um, it was one they were quite fond of for still game queer hawk. Oh, nice. I guess I always, uh, you know, when you don't understand a word, so you just kind of always gloss over it when you listen. You never think, hey, what does that word mean? Um, and that's why they got away with it. And in terms of aging poorly, I thought they were also quite harsh on Central Station. I thought they were too. But to be fair, I bet you didn't have the pub back then. It didn't have the nice, it didn't have Oliver Bonus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't have the fucking body shop at Acosta like back then <laughs> yeah I suppose I, but I, that's the kind of thing it's aged at the time it was maybe a bit more accurate but these days I mean Central Station's fine I, I don't see many Aye. I don't see too many junkies who are murderers or beggars oh see, yeah no you see beggars to be fair but I don't know never, I don't know if I've seen any murderers at Central I love Station. that line by the way I love that line I've actually written that um, in the next category for favourite smart arsed comments junkies, whores, murderers and beggars oh, that was so funny but yeah I feel, I feel like that language has aged poorly and I was glad to hear Michael say that when they uh, did the reboot obviously there were a lot of things that people didn't like about the reboot of the series but I'm glad to know that that was a conversation they had in the room and they were like hey I know that probably back in the time they would have used this language but it's inappropriate let's cut it do you know yeah I think that that makes me happy that that was a conversation because you think about you know the population of Scotland the majority of it likes and watches still game and then you think about the po- like the amount of those people who are queer you know yeah um you know, and you don't want to alienate people just because it was something, just because it was language that was used back then doesn't mean you need to, like, perpetuate it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> and, fair. Aye, and that is my rant. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, smart arse comments, apart from junkies, who are murderers and beggars. Well, what my, did you my think? smart arse comment was uh, the wee plot hole of how they missed the call in the first place. So Jack turns the TV up. I've never heard a t- TV so loud that it completely drowns out the sound of a phone. Yeah, I literally never even thought of that. <laughs> How loud is this fucking TV? How deaf is Jack? <laughs> I know, and he's like, oh, turn it down, turn it down, it's too loud. And I'm like, I, to be fair, and it's also, I don't think it's never discussed again, the fact that Jack's obviously quite deaf. <laughs> That he needs to turn the TV up. And he's shouting at it as well. It's a very kind of weird... It's a weird yeah. way to introduce that. Uh, I suppose it kind of works, but... Aye, it's just... It's kind of one of those ones where, yeah, if you want to be a smart arse and say, like, oh, this... Yeah, if you want to pick holes and things, that's an easy... That, that was the easy one. That's right. kind of a plot hole. Like, telly yeah. would never be that loud. It would just cover up a phone. <laughs> telly, telly would never be that loud. God's sake. Get Michael back. we got a complaint. But that is a good... Um, there's quite good acting from... 
uh, Greg Hempel in that scene. Uh, yeah. For in a, in, a, in a few ways, like him getting annoyed that Jack had kind of raised the anger in his voice and the way the kind of physical acting he has to do. Because it's mm. kind of like a wider shot when he goes over to the to the answer machine and then he's like, try, like, he's like I can't figure this out kind of thing. And it all seemed quite on the money for a kind yeah. of pensioner struggle. Like, just the movement itself and also a pensioner kind of struggling with a, a, a newer kind of piece of technology that they're not entirely comfortable with using. I thought that was all... That all looked yeah. pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, and I think... I think one thing that I never really appreciated before, but I'm appreciating more now I'm watching Still Game as an adult, is the fact that they handle these characters who are pensioners with such respect and, like, care. Like, I, there's jokes and things, but I feel like, you know, we were talking about one of the reasons Still Game works so well is that there's real, like, heart and real kind of like like Pathos. humanity yeah you know and i feel like uh, with the whole not understanding how it works i never looked at that and went haha they're pretending to be old men who are dumb <laughs> i was just like oh no it must be hard to like when technology moves so fast and you're just trying to keep up you know yes i was like this isn't that nice i remember watching my granny struggle with my iphone gosh <laughs> <laughs> Be like, no, it's this button. She's like, there's only one button. And I go, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, brilliant. I also, um, oh, right. My, just my favourite line. It wasn't a joke, but I just have to mention it. My favourite line in the whole show, this show, is three weeks on the trot, that big blimp has humped me out in my jigget chop. <laughs> Like, that sh- <laughs> like isn't that just the best line you've ever heard? I had to pause Netflix and get out the captions because I didn't know what jigget meant. Uh, I'm not really sure either. What is it? Um, meat. Some sort of meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured that. <laughs> Wait, look, I'm going to Google it right now. Jigot. Jigot. Oh, it just means leg, so it's probably like a lamb or something. Right, okay. Right, brilliant. Thank you, MiriamWebster.com. Uh, sponsor us. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, isn't that just the best line? Three weeks on the trot, that big blimp has humped me out of my jigget chop. <laughs> no, it, is, it is lamb. Lamb jigget chops. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, also, go on, Peggy, eating six. Six in a day. So she right, well, can come back the next day. Give it to the dog. I, yeah, to be fair, to be fair. <laughs> and that's it's brilliant as well. Just literally doing it just to shaft Winston. Like, no other reason. Those, those can't be cheap as well. Oh, my God, no. You're kidding me. And, like, and, we've, all, and we've touched on how the fact that, you know, that, like, these pensioners don't have a lot of money as well. And even though she's not a pensioner, you know, she's just a normal person. But she's like, yeah, I'll spend, like, 30 quid. Yeah, but she, she still lives in Craig Lang, so she can't exactly Aye. be affluent, could she? Yeah. She was like, I'll spend this money just for the look on your fucking face. <laughs> just to wind up Winston, brilliant. <laughs> Um, brilliant. So, uh, before we get on to our ratings, who do you think won this episode, Jack or Victor? I found this so hard for this episode. Mm. Uh, um, I kind of, I kind of almost want to go Jack, even though it's a more kind of Victor-centric episode. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he has kind of the, a lot of the kind of funnier lines. Mm-hmm. He's kind of... Victor's just doing a lot of worrying and yeah. kind of stressing in this episode, so I'm not sure it necessarily allows the character to, to shine as much. And Jack's yeah. kind of... Just kind of cutting about being a bit daft 
Uh, and that's kind of what you... That, that kind of gives you more opportunity to shine, you know. But then again, I did say earlier, like, I'm really impressed with Greg Hempel's acting in that, that scene, so I don't know. Yeah. It's, I think a, it's Greg, so hard, this one. Yeah, if it was actor v actor, you know what I mean? Then that's a whole different thing. But I think in terms of character, like Jack v Victor, I do agree with you. I think Jack won. The fact that he, you know, is honest with his pal and he supports him and then at the end he, like you know, makes up this bullshit about the train, you know, something wrong with the line and he's a really good friend and, you know, he was right also all along. Yeah. He knew that his son wouldn't come, but he doesn't rub it in his face, you know, and all of that. Like, I, I, I agree. I think the character wins, even though uh, Greg gave a fantastic performance. Yes. Um, and it's nice actually watching them in, in the order that's on Netflix rather than the order that's on BBC because then in the first two episodes, you get to see one set of acting chops and then the other. And I think, oh, isn't that isn't that nice? Um, also, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to say this in front of Michael because I was like, don't yell at me. But um, <laughs> but I was like, I I actually do think this should definitely be the second episode because him putting out the welcome mat and backing yes. up his door. Yeah, I was it, like, it leads in perfectly for the first episode. Aye, perfect. If that would happen, for episode three or four, I'd be like, hold on a hot darn minute. <laughs> ah, he's, in, he's just been cutting about these last couple of episodes without a nameplate on his door and without a welcome mat. It doesn't seem like the type of thing a, a kind of pensioner would do. I no Wickland, Matt, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Um, so let us move on to ratings. Okay. Let, let me get up my notes that I've just closed. <laughs> la, la, la. Um, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Rate the show. Here we can do it. So um, the ratings that we are going to do, you can find this on... I'm going to start that again. Can you cut that? Yes. <laughs> now it's time to move on to rating the show. And remember, you can rate the show on uh, all of these categories, including story, jokes, and nostalgia level. And then the we're going to tally up everything and we're going to find the overall point system for each episode. And we are going to find the undisputed best ever episode of Still Game. Um, because we've decided that we have the authority to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fuck IMDb. Hi, fuck it. It's us. It's us. Craig and Bethany for the win. Um, so you can find that on Twitter if you just hop online and you can see that and you will find the way to cast your vote because this is where you can get involved and you can help us make our decision. Yes, you find it uh, at Terrace Podcast. Aye, there. There you'll find it. Well done. Um... <laughs> brilliant um and i think that is it for today's episode yes yeah that's it we've done another, all the things another one in the can another another one bites the dust <sighs> a longer um, episode this time because we spoke to michael for 45 minutes but yeah, i know that. It's, do you know what it's free you know <laughs> sorry but not sorry because that was interesting shit like it was i don't know if it would be interesting for the listeners i really hope so i hope that you really enjoyed uh, hearing michael talk about his progress and hearing my wanky wanky questions um uh, it's just so rare that you get to talk the to the director of such a you know a culturally significant show you know yeah um i mean it's every day for craig he's rubbing shoulders with the best of them but for <laughs> me oh wow <laughs> this is this is new <laughs> Um, so yeah, we hope you, that you enjoyed listening to this episode and we hope that you will log on and cast your vote and you will tune in next week where we move on to episode three. What is episode three? Episode three is called... 
called yes the one that michael was talking so much about so i'm excited to go back and rewatch it uh considering it was his favorite of series one yeah it's a it's a very good episode nice oh gosh i'm so excited woohoo um brilliant so thank you so so much for tuning in and that is a goodbye from me and i think a goodbye from craig as well <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm not gonna stay on if you're just <laughs> you'd be like, me talking to the audience but good now she's gone oh my god what a cow right <laughs> can't believe she asked that question. Fuck's sake, man. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a goodbye for me as well. Okay, brilliant. See you all next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. This was a Terrace Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.